God's going to heal. God's going to deliver. God's going to empower. God's going to bring about all these blessings and miracles and power and love and glory. And God's going to do it all. And God's going to do it now. But what if he doesn't? What if he doesn't? What if he doesn't? One of bad things happened to good people. Where was God when my spouse, child, father, grandfather, friend, loved one suffered and died? Where was God then? What am I supposed to do when I'm in all this pain and I can't get away from it? What am I supposed to do in the midst of all this suffering? Where's God now? Where was God? How am I supposed to, to react when other people around me are suffering and, and broken? What am I supposed to do when I see the people in my life going through all this pain and it seems like it's never going to end? What am I supposed to do then? How can God be good when this world is so bad? These are the kind of questions that I get asked all the time as the pastor of this church. These are the kind of questions I get texted on the Facebook Messenger on a weekly basis. These are the kind of questions that people stop me. I work in healthcare, man. These are the kind of questions that people stop me in the middle of the hallway and ask me with tears in their eyes at work, dressed in scrubs. These are the kind of questions that we as the people of God are going to have to answer. If we're going to be taken seriously in the world at all, we cannot avoid this thing. We can't avoid it. We can't sidestep it. We can't just say, well, just because. If we're going to be taken seriously in this fallen world, then we're going to have to approach these things head on. And that has done no better than any place in, in all of existence than in the book of Job. For the next five weeks, I'm going to introduce you and help you to get very well acquainted with this man named Job. Now, Job in the Hebrew means hated, means persecuted. That's what the word means. Now, we don't know if, if Job means persecuted and hated because of what happened in the book of Job, or if this guy's name wasn't really Job, but they tagged him with his nickname later because of the things that he went through. We don't know. But we know this, that Job is probably the oldest book in the Bible. That it was written before anything else in the Bible was written. Isn't that crazy? That, that, that before anything else was penned, before anything in Scripture was, was put down on paper, we got Job. It's also one of the most incredible pieces of literature that was ever produced. It's written in this incredible Hebrew poetry. It starts with, an, with a prologue, it ends with an epilogue, and it's got monologues and dialogues all in between. The entire book of Job is a conversation. The entire book of Job is a conversation. It, it, it plays out much like you would have seen the plays take place right here on this very stage just a few years ago. Such the, such the stage is set for the things of heaven to dictate what happens on the earth. And so, for the next five weeks, we're going to learn about Job. 
I mean, I mean, it's such an incredible book. It, the science of hydrology, the, the, the effects of, of water systems, how it's, it's drawn up into evaporation into the clouds and carried all over the earth and rains down and is reclaimed by the rivers and taken back to the sea is, is laid out in the book of Job, which is the oldest book in the Bible. The, 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 the systems of weather and how climate affects the whole world and the, the science is just laid out in the book of Job. It even hints in the book of, the, of, of Job about worldwide communication using electricity and light. I mean, imagine that for just a second. God wrote this thing back before any of this stuff was ever even conceived. And it's just so much proof that there's nothing new under the sun. But the, the very best thing about Job is just the theme of it. I mean, I mean, that's what it's known for, right? The theme of suffering compared to the sovereignty of God. I mean, that's the theme of the book of Job. It's, it's, it's human suffering compared and, and, and contrasted and intertwined with the sovereignty of God. And sovereignty just means like full control, right? And the fact that we just are in every way in God's hand. But there's something even better about that in the book of Job. If you read the book of Job correctly, you will see that on every page is a direct route to the way and the truth and the life. I present to you that the book of Job is not actually about human suffering and the sovereignty of God. I will present to you today and for the next five weeks that the book of Job is about the first and the last, the beginning and the end, the author and the finisher, the line of Judah and the Lamb of God. The book of Job is not about Job. It's about Jesus Christ. Can somebody say amen? And would you stand with me for the reading of God's word today? We're going to read this whole chapter. Don't lock your knees, right? Parade stance for you military guys, okay? Got it? But no, it won't take long. Book of Job, starting in verse 1, the Bible says this. There was a man in the country of Uz named Job. He was a man of complete integrity who feared God and turned away from evil. He had seven sons and three daughters, and his estate included 7,000 sheep and goats, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large number of servants. Job was the greatest man among all the people of the East. That is to say, Job made about 500K a year. His 401K was overflowing. He had stock options in Apple and Google. He was doing it. Uh, he was doing it. He was doing it. Yeah, I mean, this dude was doing it. His portfolio was out of this world. The greatest man among all the people of the East. His sons used to take turns having banquets in their homes. And, and he, they would send an invitation to the three sisters to come eat and drink with them. And whenever a round of banqueting was over, Job would send for his children and purifying them, rising early in the morning to offer burnt offerings for all of them. For Job thought, perhaps my children have sinned, having cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular practice. Oh, man, here they go. They're having a party again. Somebody go get some lambs and sheep. One day... As Job's sons and I'm going to skip to verse 13. Sorry, I'm going to skip 6 through 12 right now. We'll come back to that at the end, okay? Verse 13. One day when Job's sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and reported, While the oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby, the Sabians swooped down and took them away. They struck down the servants with the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was speaking, another messenger came and reported, God's fire fell from heaven. It burned the sheep and the servants and devoured them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. 
While that messenger was still speaking, yet another came and reported the Chaldeans formed three bands, made a raid on the camels, and took them away. They struck down the servants with the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and reported. Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And suddenly a powerful wind swept in from the desert, struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on the young people so that they died. And I alone have escaped to tell you. So Job stood up, tore his robe, shaved his head, fell to the ground, and worshipped. Saying, naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I will leave this life. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And throughout all this, Job did not sin or blame God for anything. <laughs> Father, we praise you today for all you've given, for all you've taken. God, we praise you in spirit and in truth. Let nothing in this world keep us from praising you, God. I pray that we are willing to lay it all down because you are enough. You've always been enough. You will always be enough in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Let's give God a shout of praise, can we? And you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. We as Christians believe for some reason uh, that if you do good things, you're going to get good things. And if you do bad things, uh, then you're going to get bad things. That everybody kind of gets what they deserve. And yet, why do we continue to believe that when everything that we see around us tells us a different story? What's it going to take to convince us of the truth that that's just not the case? How long before we quit being offended, right? How long before we quit being offended? Well, I can't believe that so-and-so got that promotion and I didn't get it. I'm a way better employee than they are. Well, I can't believe, you know, they, they you know, have a, a, a house and a boat and a new car. I know what kind of person they are. They did this and that, and they're cheating on their wife, and they own dope and all these things, and still they're doing all this stuff. And we're offended by those things. And then on the other side of the game, it, we're like, well, so-and-so got cancer, but she never heard a fly in her whole life, and I just don't see why all this is happening to her. How long before reality takes hold of us and we stop getting offended when things don't turn out how our preconceived notions thought that they were supposed to turn out. Because I just want to share this with you, man. If that's the case, if, if, if suffering is a punishment for sin, if earthly suffering is a punishment for sin, Job's not the guy. Job is not the guy. Man, the Bible says that he was a righteous man. He was blameless in all he did. And, and we know that nobody's good compared to God's standard, but compared to the standard of men, Job was the best guy walking the face of the earth. Job did what he was supposed to do. Job didn't do what he wasn't supposed to do. Man, this guy offered burnt offerings for his children just in case that they sinned. 
Like he gave some of his flock, sacrificed some of his wealth, and took all the time to purify them just in case they sinned. That's the equivalent of the little old grandma that prays for you because she just knows you ain't living right. <laughs> and thank God for them. Yes, brother, thank God for those. I had one too. Thank God for those. And Job was that guy. Job was that guy, man. Job is the one that did that kind of thing, man. Job. What's the guy, man? If, 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 sin, if suffering is a punishment for sin, Job is not the guy. And Job had it all. Like I said, man, Job had it going on. Job was blessed beyond measure. And that makes sense to us, doesn't it? Yeah, Job did the stuff he was supposed to do, so God blessed him for it. Job didn't do the things that he wasn't supposed to do, so God withheld all the bad stuff from happening to him. But so, so that Job was walking around blessed, man. Uh, and, 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 and he praised God for it, right? As we should. I mean, the book of James says that all good and perfect gifts come from the Father of light. And we should praise him for it. I mean, we should praise him for every good and perfect and blessed gift that we have. That we have. I mean, this is the formula that we cooked, have cooked up in our head, right? Do good, get good. Do better, get better. Do best. Get best, right? And yet, do the best people that you know have the most stuff? Do the best people that you know have the easiest life? No. And some of you are sitting here right now going, oh, but preacher, they should. No, 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 Pastor Paul, you're right. The best people I know don't have the most stuff, but they should. And some of you are going, no, Pastor Paul, the, the, the best people I know don't have the easiest lives, but they should. Oh, really? Did you ever think that maybe as a culture, maybe as a race, that we're counting the wrong things? Did you ever think that we're maybe setting the wrong goals? Do you ever think that maybe having a big old pile of stuff in an easy life is not what God had planned for you in the first place? Maybe we should be looking a different route to see whether or not we have a fulfilled life. Maybe we should. I mean, Job was faithful, and Job was righteous, and Job was loving, and Job, Job was kind, and Job was moral, and Job lost it all. Job didn't ask for any of that. You know, most of mine and your suffering we brought on ourselves, didn't we, brother? Most of it we did, right, brother? Me and you, right? We brought it on ourselves, didn't we? Job didn't even ask for it. Job did nothing of his own merit to cause these things to happen, and yet they did. And man, when it rains, it pours, amen? You ever use that, that statement in your own life? I mean, look, it happens to people, man. So power goes out of the dude's house, and he wakes up late, finally runs out of bed and goes out there and tries to start his car, and his car won't start. I mean, it's just life, right? And then he doesn't make it to work, man, and he loses his job, and he loses his job, so he can't pay his mortgage, and he's out on the streets, and his wife leaves him because he can't provide for her. And then is when he finds out that he's been sick, right? I mean, it's life. It's life. What happened to Job, man? 
Job's just sitting there minding his own business. Doing what he's supposed to do, not doing what he's not supposed to do. Servant shows up, and he's probably thinking, hey, I wonder what this guy needs. Maybe something's going on in the fields. What do we need to do? Hey, man, all your wealth is gone. What? Yeah, you know, the, the, the sheep that you had grazing in the field, like, like your entire fortune, like all your money, your whole bank account, gone. Was there any getting it back? Can I file a complaint? Can we take it to the whatever? No. It's gone. Okay. Dealing with that, right? Another guy shows up and he's like, hey, man, your livelihood is gone. Like not just the wealth you've accumulated, but now your livelihood is gone. You ain't got a job no more. Your, your whole business that you have worked so hard to build, it's gone. What? Is there any insurance on it? No. Insurance policy was canceled a while back. It was an accounting error. It's gone. Everything's gone. Man, but what about the savings that I had put back? Third, third servant comes. No, man. Cleaned out. Yesterday, you know, five minutes ago you were a millionaire. Now you are destitute. You have nothing. You have no hope of anything. Everything that you have is gone. And so he's standing there just trying to deal with all this. And then, of course, the big shot comes, right? The next servant comes up and he's, I mean, can you imagine what's going through this guy's mind that has to come and tell him that all his kids are dead? Ten of them. I mean, I've, I've, I've had to walk through, you know, the, the aftermath of a parent losing a child as the pastor of this church. And just as a friend and a Christian in general with some people, it is devastating. It is devastating. And, and, but you know what? The, the one thing that a lot of times helps them get their stuff together and keep on going is that they've got other ones. They've got other kids that they have to be strong for and put one foot in front of the other and still provide for them and care for them and love them. And so, so they're able to continue soldiering on because they've got these other kids that they've got to care for. But in one fell swoop, all seven of his sons, all three of his daughters, gone. His wealth is gone. His livelihood is gone. His savings are gone. And his family is gone. You know, I went on a trip last weekend, as you guys know, and was gone with some of my buddies and had a great time. I mean, we went, you know, hiking and kayaking and did all this stuff, man. It was just cool to hang out with some of my oldest and dearest friends, and, and I just love those guys so much, and we, we had a ball. But, you know, I miss my family, and I miss you guys. I miss being here. And uh, when I got home from the trip late Sunday evening, I... You know, the kids were in the pool out back, and, and Angela was in the, in, in the room doing something with the babies. And I, um, I just sat down on the porch, like before I even went in the house. And, and I just had this moment with the Lord. And I was just like, God, just thank you. I mean, oh, my God. I mean, I mean, thank you, God, for all the many blessings that you poured out of my life. You know, thank you just first off for giving me a second chance at life. I mean, most of y'all know my story, man. I deserve hell and, and death and jail and whatever comes with it. And yet here I am. I mean, thank you, God, for your grace and your mercy. And I was like, thank you, God, for my wife and just the blessing that she is to me. And the fact that I have a wife to miss when I'm gone and to love me and, and to, you know, send me text messages while I'm out there hiking and stuff, man. Thank you for her. And thank you for my kids and our bonus kids, man. And just thank you, God, for just what you're doing for my family. 
and, and for my, my work and, and, and for my church just to have just such an incredible group of people to follow God with like you guys. I mean, what an incredible blessing it is to, just, to, just to walk this thing out with you. And I was just overwhelmed. I was just sitting there on the porch just overwhelmed, thanking God and just, just being so grateful for all that he's done and just sitting there just praising his name just on the porch before he walked in the house. I got my little duffel bag sitting down beside me, and I'm like, man, God, praise your name. But I knew that I was preaching this series this week. And so the next thought that entered my head, and maybe it was the Holy Spirit, maybe it was just my own fear, was would you still praise God if you lost every single one of those things? If you got an email from your work right now that said, hey, we done, your services are no longer needed. We wish you the best in your future endeavors. If I got a, a, a message from my bank saying, hey, like all that money that you had been saving up to try to support all these 17 or 26 kids or however many are in there now. If I got an email from the bank saying, hey, all that money that you had saved up is gone and there's no hope of recouping it. If, if I got an eviction notice from, you know, the bank that said or whatever, whoever it is that, that owns the title to my house that said, you have to leave. You got nowhere else to go. If my wife came in and said, hey, I can't do this anymore, I'm leaving. And then worst of all, what if I, what if I got that phone call? What if that cop pulled up? You know how they do with people and said, hey, there's been an accident. All your kids are gone. If I didn't have anything as far as things, if I didn't have anything as far as relationships to thank God for, nothing, would I still praise him? And I just want you to know that that question has rocked me to my core. And I wish that I had an answer for you. I don't want to know. I hope, God, please, I don't want to know. But I wish that I had an answer for you, but I'm not going to stand up here and lie to you and be like, oh, I'd praise God and worship God and fall on my knees before God. Well, I don't know. I'm just being real with you today. I don't know. I would like to think that I would. I would like to think that my faith and, and the power of the Holy Spirit that lives in me is enough. But I just want to be real with y'all. I will never stand up here and lie to you. I don't know. It's like Jen said in worship, I want to be that person. I want to be that. That's who I want to be with everything in me. I want to be that person that stands strong in the face of whatever adversity comes my way. I want desperately to be that person. Am I? Probably not. Probably not. But I know this. It wouldn't be because he would, was unworthy. It would only be because I was unwilling. Because this is the answer to the question. Is he still worthy of our praise in the midst of all that suffering and pain? A resounding yes. 
If he never did another thing for me after he sent his son to hang on that cross, then he did more for me than all the culmination of existence could ever, 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 ever do. He showed his great love that while we were still sinners, he died for us. Yeah, can you give him praise today? I'm telling you that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And Jesus minus everything is still everything. Still everything. And nothing can ever change that. A resounding, yes, he is worthy of our praise. When everything in our life is blessing and joy, and, and, and tulips and rainbows. Y'all see that double rainbow in Glasgow the other day? I've never seen a rainbow like that. It was just wild that we were talking about the promises of God today. I mean, that was nuts. It's wild that God gave us that in the middle of a storm to remind us of who he is. Can you say amen? Because if we're walking in those rainbows and, and dancing like the, like the song that Adam sang says, he's worthy of our praise. And if we are broken beyond all recompense, if we are broken beyond all human understanding because we've lost more than any other mortal could ever even understand that it was possible to lose, still he's worthy of our praise. Still he's worthy of our praise. And nothing can ever change that. Romans 7, Paul said, I'm at war with myself. Why do I constantly do what I know I'm not supposed to do and I can't do the things that I know that I'm supposed to do? Our flesh is at war with our spirit. Our flesh wants to drag us down because of the suffering that we experience in our life. And yet our spirit never wants to be drugged down. Our spirit wants to praise God and sing hymns and love and power and glory all day long. Thus the war. Thus the war. But here's the thing, guys. I'm not telling you to replace your praise or your pain with praise. I'm telling you to praise through your pain. Job hurt. Dude, Job, Job hurt. And he didn't try to act like he wasn't hurting. I'm not trying to tell you to put on your happy face and, you know, your church face that you put on. Everything at home is falling apart. Good morning, brother and sister. God bless you. Hey, y'all know the ones that are laughing are the ones that have done it, right? Stop it. We're pulling in. Fine. We'll get back to this later. Yes, we will. Maybe that's just us. I don't know. No. Anybody else? I mean, who? Anybody else, man? Anybody else? Yeah. Yeah. Let's go praise Jesus right now. Maybe he'll work a miracle in you. He does. <laughs> I'm not telling you to put your church face on. I'm telling you to praise anyway. I'm telling you that he is worthy of your praise even in the midst of your pain, no matter what you're going through. And it's like Jim was saying in worship, man, he's right there with you. He's right there with you. He's with us in the fire and the flood. 
He's with us on one of those long nights when we're going through something that we don't think anybody else in the world can understand. I know this. I, I serve a high priest that, 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 that does not discount my suffering because he's suffered in every way that I have. He's been tempted in every way that I have. He understands what it's like to be a human being and walk through the things that we're walking through. He understands what it's like to be betrayed. He understands what it's like to be, you know, discounted. He understands what it's like to be forsaken. He understands what it's like to be hungry. He understands what it's like to be broken. He understands every moment of pain that you've ever been through in your life. Man, he gets it like nobody else ever could. That's why I serve him. And that's why I choose him above every other God that they can ever throw at me because none of the rest of them were willing to get off their throne and come and experience the things that I've experienced and do the things that I've done and die in my place knowing I'm not worth it. We both know I'm not worth it. But to him I am. To him I am. Man, Job hurt. Job hurt. Job hurt. I'm not asking you to dry it up. That's what my dad used to tell me when I was a kid, right? Dry it up, boy. Dry it up. I did. I'm not telling you to dry it up and move on. I'm telling you as them tears fall down, put them hands up. As your tears fall down, your hands should go up. Job worshiped. The Bible says he fell to the ground in pain, and he worshiped God in spirit and in truth. Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I will return. The Lord gives. Say, the Lord gives. Come on, say, the Lord gives. The Lord takes away. Say, the Lord takes away. Yes, he does. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In the giving and in the taking. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Because everything comes from God. Everything goes back to God. He is the first and the last, the beginning and the end, the author and the finisher. And he's worthy of it all. He's worthy of it all. But the question still remains, doesn't it? Why did all this happen to Job? Why? I mean, yeah, I get it, preacher. It's going to happen. It's coming. Pain's coming. Praise him anyway. I get it. Why? The answer's to questions like this that you're looking for in your life are not found on earth. You hear me? They are only found in heaven. They're not found on earth. You, you, you will not find a reason as to why the things that have happened in your life have happened because they're only found in heaven. Even though there may be no reason for it, there's always purpose in it. You may never find a reason for it, but there's always a purpose in it. Because God uses all things for the good of those that are called according to his purpose. All things. 
God didn't cause what happened to Job, but he sure used it. Let's take a peek into the throne room of heaven, shall we? There's only a few places in Scripture where this happens. In the book of Job, again in the book of Revelation. A few other places scattered around where we get to see a view into heavenly conversations. But remember, this is the oldest book of the Bible. The first one that was ever written, and it gives us a window into the throne room. Job chapter 1 verse 6, the Bible says this, One day the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. And the Lord asked Satan, Where have you come from? From roaming through the earth, Satan answered, and walking around on it. And then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? No one else on the earth is like him, a man of perfect, perfect integrity who fears God and turns away from evil. And Satan answered the Lord, Does Job fear God for nothing? You ain't going to do nothing anyway. Haven't you placed a hedge? Or like Kyle said, haven't you placed the hedge around him, his household, and everything he owns? You've blessed the work of his hands and his possessions and have increased him in the land. But if you stretch out your hand and strike everything he owns, he'll surely curse you to your face. Very well, the Lord said to Satan. Everything he owns is in your power. However... Do not lay a hand on Job himself. And so Satan left the Lord's presence. I've heard a lot of pastors preach this message. I've heard a lot of people talk about it. A lot of people say, God set Job up. God set Job up to suffer. God removed his protections and he, he set Job up. Boy, church, I want to make something really clear. There was a setup going on here. But Job wasn't the one that got set up. Did Job suffer? Yes, he did. He suffered greatly. Was it meaningless? No. Was there purpose in his pain? Of course there was purpose in his pain. Of course there was purpose in his pain. Does pain last forever? No. Pain's temporary. Your pain is temporary. You know why? Because my Bible says that God is going to wipe every tear from every eye. You know what else? Your pain is light. Oh, oh, preacher, you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what I'm dealing with. How could you say my pain is light? I'm not talking about right now. I'm sure your pain is heavy as all get out right now. Your pain is light when compared to the weight of glory that lasts for eternity. And your pain is not meaningless. Your pain has a purpose. Every ounce of it, every drop of it has a purpose. It has a purpose in your life. It has a purpose in the lives of the people around you. It has a purpose in the lives of people you will never meet. And more importantly than that, every moment of pain that you've ever experienced in your life, every moment of pain and suffering you ever will experience in your life has a purpose in the kingdom of God. Can you say amen? See how there was a setup going on here. There was a setup going on. Except Job wasn't the one that got set up. All these things happened to Job, man, and, and he's sitting down, and the Bible says that he stands up, and he tears his robe, and he shaves his head, man, or maybe he just yanks his hair straight out of his head, and he's in pain. 
And the Bible says that, that he falls to his knees. And you know at that moment in the kingdom of heaven that the devil's chest went out and his head went up. And you know that he was looking at God in that condescending way that only he has. And he's smiling at God and he's getting that little devilish grin on his face. And he's got his finger ready because you know what he's about to say, right? I told you so. I told you he'd curse you to your face. I told you if you took everything he had that he wouldn't praise you. I told you. And he's right on the verge. He's right on the verge of winning. And he knows it. And his head goes up. But then Job's hands go up. And the devil's head goes down. Can you say amen? Job didn't get set up. Satan got set up, and he fell right into God's trap. Can you say amen? Fell right into God's trap. Fell right into God's trap. Do humans suffer? Yep. Is God sovereign? Yes. Does God have a purpose for your pain? Oh, yeah. Does God have a plan that is so incredibly amazing that we wouldn't even be able to understand it if he laid it out for us on a map? In the book of Habakkuk, my favorite of the Old Testament prophets, he says, God, I look around and all I see is pain. And this is the Paul revised version, by the way. All I see is 